You know, a lot of people have a false idea of what heaven is going to be like. They have this stereotype that's been given them, and they kind of run with that and think, oh, that must be the way it is. Many people have embraced this stereotype of heaven where everyone becomes an angel when they die. You know, you're going you're gonna to die, and after death you become an angel, and you go up into heaven, and you start wearing a robe and a halo, and you float around on a cloud playing harp for all eternity. Ever hear that one? That's, that's not very accurate. Some people love to tell stories about uh, dying, people dying, and then meeting St. Peter at the pearly gates of heaven. But actually, there's no mention in the Bible of Peter manning those gates. He's not, that's not his job for eternity. There's nothing in the Bible says about that. In fact, they're not really pearly gates like you think of. You know, they're just kind of painted in this pearly color. They're actual pearls. When the Bible describes them, they're giant pearls, and there's 12 of them. And, and it's interesting how people have their popular concept of heaven, but then there's the real heaven described. Speaking of pearly gates, <laughs> speaking of pearly gates, did you hear about the elderly couple who happened to pass away at the same time? And they found themselves at the pearly gates in front of Peter. And this is not real, so I'll just warn you ahead of time. Peter's there to welcome them. And uh, he showed them first their mansion. Wow, it's an amazing place. They'd never seen any place like that before. And the man is overwhelmed by the sheer luxury of it all. He says, wow, how much does this place cost? What is this going to cost me per night? And Peter says, it's not going to cost you anything. This is heaven. It's free. So then he takes them upstairs to their, their dining area, and it's this huge banquet room. You know, it's filled with tables full of the most un unbelievable food he's ever seen, most delicious things he could imagine. And again, he's overwhelmed by it all, and the man says, Peter, how much is this going to cost me? And Peter says, it's going to cost you nothing. It's free. This is heaven. So then he takes him out back, and out back there is this golf course like you can't believe. The man's a golfer, and his, his eyes are just popping out of his head, you know. Wow, I've never seen a course like this before. And Peter says, hold it right there before you can say a word. This, this is heaven. This is free. There are no greens fees. You don't have to pay for your cart. You don't have to pay for anything. We just provide it all. Enjoy what's here for you. The man is in total shock. And then after about a minute of that, he suddenly turns to his wife, and he almost screams at her. He says, you and your confounded bran muffins. I could have been here ten years ago. <laughs> If it hadn't been for those. Well, some people think when they think about heaven, it's this boring, dull place. And they think, why would I want to go there? I don't want to float around in a harp and a, on a cloud strumming a harp for all that. That just sounds really, really weak. But that joke maybe captures a little bit of the promise and what it's going to be like, far beyond what we could believe in, in beauty and delight. You may be as relieved as I am to discover that heaven is not the place some people think it will be. And with all the speculation, with all the movies, with all the books that are coming out supposedly describing what heaven is like, I'm more comfortable getting my information from the source, aren't you? I'm more comfortable just saying, okay, God, you made heaven. Tell us what heaven is. You reveal to us what heaven is like, and I'll go with that, because that's much better information from a more reliable source than anywhere else I can get my information. Is there really a place called heaven? Yes. 
Actually, there are three heavens, and we'll describe those in a minute. Heaven is a very real place in the Bible. It is not just a poetic place, a metaphorical place of bliss, some type of enlightenment, some kind of nirvana. The word heaven is a, a real place. It's being described. It's used 276 times in the New Testament alone. This book of Scripture, the Bible, refers to three heavens. There's, first of all, the heaven that you think of when you look up at the sky and you're watching the birds fly and you're seeing airplanes pass over. There's the heavens. Then beyond that is the outer space heavens where the planets and the stars are. And we often call them the heavens. But there's a third heaven, and that's the heaven we want to focus on this morning. We know there's a third heaven because the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 that he knows a man that was allowed to visit the third heaven. And he was not allowed to tell everything he saw there, but he says, I know such a man. He's really describing himself. I was caught up into this third heaven and I saw things that are indescribable there. When Jesus was getting ready to leave earth, he promised to prepare a place for his followers in heaven. In John 14, 2 and 3, he said this, In my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms, and I, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. We discover in the Bible that whoever believes in Jesus, whoever follows Jesus, whoever takes Jesus as their Lord and Savior, will go to heaven. And they'll go to this place that the Bible describes in various places. And they will go there freely because God has already paid for what is there. The Apostle John was privileged to see heaven in a vision and to report on the heavenly city. In Revelation 20, 21, 22, we see these different descriptions, particularly in chapter 21. This is the last book of the Bible. What most people call heaven is actually an eternal city, which the Bible calls the New Jerusalem. And it will be spectacular. And John describes it in a number of ways. Here's is what he says what heaven will look like. He says there's going to be a river flowing through the middle of this city, and it's going to be clear as crystal, and it will flow down from the throne of God and of the Lamb, Jesus, down through the middle of the city. And on either side of this river, there's going to be a tree of life, which is yielding 12 different kinds of fruit every month. And the streets are going to be made of pure gold, so pure that it's going to look like transparent glass. I've never seen gold that pure, but that's what it's going to look like. And the walls of this city, he said, are going to be adorned with every kind of jewel, emeralds, onyx, amethyst, topaz, and a whole list of things. And heaven is going to be this big square cube of a city and it's going to have 12 gates and 12 foundations. And it's going to be monstrous. The, the angel that was accompanying John in this vision took out a measuring rod and he measured this city called heaven. And he found it to be 1,400 miles in length, 1,400 miles in height, 1,400 miles in depth or breadth. And that, that, that's a big city. I saw a map. Somebody had kind of you know, put a square, a 1,400 mile square, on top of where Israel is. And it went all the way over to Israel, or, or to, to Italy, I mean, and all the way to the, to the east, you know, into Iraq, and went down to Egypt, and went up to the, beyond Turkey. This huge area is going to be the size 
of the heaven that the Bible describes. There is no temple in this city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's no light. There's no light switch you flip on. There's no power source needed because the Lord God Almighty provides the light. He is its light. And all these things you read about in Revelation 21. Now what I'd like to do is go to Revelation 21 though and just read the first four verses of that passage. You can follow along on the screen. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Now notice John mentions a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth had passed away. Peter actually tells us more about this in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 10. He tells us that just as Noah's world was destroyed by a flood, and everyone but the people in the ark died, so the world, the earth, is going to be destroyed in that time by a fire. And out of, out of whatever's left over, God is going to create a new earth, and this new heaven will be brought down, the new Jerusalem, to this new earth, and there God will live with those who are saved forever. Now this new heaven's appearance will be grander and more beautiful than anything we've ever seen here on earth. You can't imagine what it will look like. I can't imagine. John could not adequately describe what he was privileged to see. However, John is clear to say that the real beauty of heaven, the real attraction of heaven, is not this magnificent city and the gold and the stones and everything else. The real attraction is God himself. In Revelation 21, verse 3, he says, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. See, all of the, the trouble we go through in this life, all of the fears we have, all of the pain that we have, all of the stress that we have, that will all be absent. And filling its place will be God himself. Can you imagine? The God who loves us, the God who loved us so much that he gave his son for us, to die for us, that we could be with him forever. In heaven, we're going to be reunited with God forever. It's going to be awesome. Well, now, why did I want to talk about Easter, uh, heaven on Easter Sunday? Why, why put the connection there? Why put the emphasis on heaven? Well, because we live in a world where death reigns. And heaven and the resurrection are God's proof that death doesn't need to reign anymore. Death is out. Over the centuries, death has been our relentless enemy, our unyielding enemy. No one regardless of their rank or strength or wealth, has been able to escape death. As soon as we are born, death becomes our destiny. Okay, As soon as you're old enough to, to understand that you could be hurt, you could be killed, 
you start accepting the fact that this is where it's going to end. This life on this earth is going to end in death. Many have tried to overcome death. Many have tried to avoid death. Many people you know, have tried freezing their body you know, or, or putting off all the illnesses they can and living in this sterile environment and trying to prolong life as long as they can. But no one has succeeded in avoiding death. No one has developed an antidote for death. But today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, celebrates the fact that death has been defeated once for all. Death has been defeated by Jesus Christ. And Jesus marched through the gates of Hades, the abode of the dead, and he claimed a decisive victory over death. He conquered death forever, and now he assures his followers that we too will share in his victory. Because of Jesus, we don't need to fear death anymore. We don't need to be afraid of what it's going to be like to die and what's on the other side of death. What's the future? We don't need to be afraid of that because Jesus has already conquered this enemy named death. In fact, as believers, death is not our enemy anymore, but it becomes simply the doorway through which we pass so that we can live with God forever. As Henry Blackaby said, no illness can defeat us, really. No disaster can rob us of eternal life. Death can temporarily remove us from those we love, but it transfers us into the very presence of the one who loves us most. Death, our greatest enemy, is nothing more than the vehicle that enables believers to experience God's glory. So this morning, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, and maybe your life is really difficult, or maybe some aspects of them are weighing heavily on you, or maybe you're fearful of what death is going to be like, do not fear death. Do not allow a fear of death to prevent you from experiencing a full and abundant life. Death cannot rob you of the eternal life that is your inheritance as a child of God. And your death, my death, will one day simply be the door by which we gain access to all that is ours in heaven. There is one more question we simply must ask and answer this morning. It's the question that everybody in this room really needs to know the answer to. And that question is this. How do we get to heaven? Heaven is this wonderful place. Heaven is this amazing place. Heaven is a place that all of us should desire to go. But how do we get there? Is there a special password? Is there a special code? A secret code we've got to know? Do we have to belong to a secret society or club? Does God include some people in the invitation while excluding others? No. No, no. You don't have to have any of these secret information. How do we get to heaven? The Bible is very clear, quite explicit how we get to heaven. And it says that God freely invites everyone to come. Nobody's left out. Nobody's excluded. God invites everyone to come and to enjoy heaven with Him for eternity. And that's amazing because all of us don't deserve heaven. All of us have already uh, sinned against God. All of us have rebelled enough that we deserve hell. We deserve just the opposite. God is completely fair. God is completely just in saying, I'm sorry, but you're going to spend eternity in hell. Because the way he set it up, and he can set it up because he's a creator, he said that if you sin, the, the penalty of that, the result of that is death. Not just physical death, 
but eternal death because we're eternal souls. And even though this body dies, the soul will continue. Will it continue in eternal life or in eternal death? God's invitation to eternal life in heaven is made through Jesus Christ, who gave his perfect life on the cross so that the penalty of death could be satisfied. God is just, and God says this penalty must be satisfied. But God is gracious, and then he said, I'm going to pay for you. I'm going to provide the payment for you because it's too too difficult of a payment for you to bear. I will bear that so that you can go free. When we recognize our need for God's forgiveness, and when we put our faith in Jesus to save us, then God cleanses us from our sin and welcomes us into His family. When we repent of our sin, we turn away from sin and turn toward God. When we are baptized into Jesus Christ, God cleanses us from our guilt and our shame and welcomes us into His family. And then when we die, when we leave this earth, unless Jesus has already returned before that, we will go to be with God when we leave this world and we will be allowed to live with Him for eternity. Now the sad fact is that those who reject God's offer, those who refuse His invitation for forgiveness, choose to remain in their sin and will spend eternity not in heaven but in hell. And the worst part of hell is not the fire or the brimstone or anything else. Once again, we have all these different stereotypes. The worst thing about hell is that God is not there. Your source of life is not with you any longer. And you are suffering because you are not with God, who is the God of love, the God of grace, the God of forgiveness, the God that is our Father who knows what's best for us. If we choose to be separated from God now, we are choosing to be separated from Him for eternity. Well, what difference does all this make? You know, I don't know where you are personally. I don't know, you know, everybody in this room exactly where you are with God. And, you know, have I made a decision to follow Christ? Have I received the forgiveness that is offered to me? Have I, you know, accepted the invitation that God is making through Jesus? Or not? I don't know. But I want you to watch a video this morning. I want you to see three of our, our people here. And I want them to be able to tell you at least part of their stories. What God has done in their life. And how you know they, where they were before Christ. And where they are today after Christ. And some of the things that they learned along the way. Just let them tell their own story. So please watch this screen as Arthur, Jackie, and Tracy tell you what God has done for them. Well, you've heard Arthur and Jackie and Tracy's stories. What is your story? Have you had the camera on you and you were talking about what God has done for you through Jesus, would you have a story to tell? And if you do, what would you say? What difference has he made in your life and mine? You know, is is there an invitation given and it's just sitting somewhere? You know, you sometimes we get invitations, we're not sure whether we're going or not, so they sit on a shelf somewhere and then we decide later and then the RSVP date passes and we missed it. 
that's what is that what's going to happen to your invitation from God? Because, as I said, the Bible declares everyone's invited. He wants everybody to come. No one's barred. Nobody's disregarded. So the choice is ours. Will we accept what he's offering us through Jesus? Whether or not we accept, we'll decide where and how we will spend eternity. We're going to, in a moment or two, sing uh, a song. I can only imagine imagining what heaven will be like. It'll be an opportunity for you to take a step toward God. Uh, I just want you to come up while we're singing. Just be seated somewhere here on the right. Go down the side aisle, whatever you want to do. Just be seated. We're not going to put a spotlight on you. We're not going to you know, ask you questions in front of everybody or anything. We just, just want you to take that step to say, I need to accept the invitation that God is offering. And then after the service, we'll talk with you today. And you can make that step. You can know what to do so that you are ready for eternity. Okay, uh, We're going to stand together in a moment. We're going to sing. invite you to come and make that decision during that time. Uh, can we pray together first? Father, I thank you for the people that are gathered here today on this Easter Sunday. You know every one of us. You know our hearts inside and out. You know those who have received the invitation. You know those who have, have left the invitation on the shelf for now. You know those who maybe have never even heard this before today. But every one of them you love. Each person in this room you care about. And Jesus died for them. The invitation is for them. And I pray that they would know in their spirit, in their hearts, that you are inviting them to come home to you. And uh, that they would take that step today if they never have before. And that all of us who have already followed Christ, already chosen Jesus, would be reminded that we are now to live for him and to embrace the eternity that he's given us and to tell others about your love. Bless us as we continue worshiping you now, Lord. Help those who need to make decisions to do that today, while it is still today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand.